Welcome to Highland Gospel Community. Glad you chose to worship with us this morning. It's uh, very encouraging to see some, see some old faces, see some new faces this morning. And um, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord with, uh, with my people. And I say that because we, Lacey and I, and the girls, we've had a couple rough weeks. I mean, it's been kind of crazy around the Taylor house. Um, so we've just, this last half of winter has kind of like kicked our family's rear end. We've been sick a lot. Um, we lost our dog last weekend. And that, thank you. Uh, I was, I thought I was going to say that this morning. People were going to be like, oh my gosh. Like, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. Um, we, we got Digby uh, two weeks after we got married. And so um, if you know our story, we've, Lacey and I have gone through a lot of changes, and God has brought us through several things. And we've pro- I think we've moved, I don't know, 12 or 13 times in 10 years. And uh, we've moved across the country twice, and we've had church <coughs> problems and um, I had one church who couldn't pay me anymore, so they had to let me go, and we've moved from Texas to Colorado to St. Louis to Fort Wayne, and he was the one constant uh, besides Jesus and all of those things, and so uh, it, was, it was hard to let him go, um, but we were, we were thankful for him, and you know, that just goes to show me um, the, the, the constant um, that of Jesus' love for us, uh, honestly. Um, dogs are loyal, you know, unlike cats, and (laughs) (coughs) dogs are very loyal, and no matter what I did, um, no matter how much I chose to not like Digby in the final year of his life, um, Digby still loved me, man. He still loved me, and his love for us is constant. Christ's love for us is constant. It is never changing. It's unending. It's unfailing. And um, even through a dog's life, you know, God continues to show me his love and mercy for me. So anyway, tough week. So thankful to be in the house of the Lord with my people. So I love you all very much. I've missed you for the last couple weeks. It's crazy how when you're out, you feel you just feel isolated. But that's why God has given us the church and then not forsake its gathering together out of Hebrews. So a little history. this morning of where I'm coming from, how we're getting to this text, and the lens at which we are going to look at it, right? So a little, a little insight to Preach Club. When we've been talking at Preach Club and how do we, how do we read the text, how do we uh, look at it, observe it, interpret it, apply it uh, specifically to teach other people, uh, one of those things that we've talked about is coming uh, to the text with any presuppositions and trying to get those out of the way as much as we can. To not be able to look at the text with our own understanding and put into the text what we think it's saying, but really to come at the text with an open heart, open mind, and to be able to look at it and see what God is saying. In that, we let God's word interpret itself. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so when I come to the Old Testament, I want you to understand that I am coming to the Old Testament, looking at it, uh, knowing that God is trying to reconcile all things, all people back to himself. That is a major Bible theme. That's what we see in, the, in Scripture is that God is, is, his goal is to reconcile us to himself. And if we approach the Old Testament without that perspective, we may look at it as 
just rules to apply to our life uh, or rules to keep in order to be holy or righteous. And we sometimes miss the beauty of what the Old Testament has for us if we don't come to the Old Testament in the same way that we approach the New Testament. Now, oftentimes, I was praying with the guys this morning that oftentimes we unnecessarily segregate Old and New Testament, thinking that this is how God was and this is how God is. And that is not true. How God was is how God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we apply those principles to our life and we know from what, what uh, Scripture tells us about who He is, then we have to come to the Old Testament understanding that His goal is to reconcile people to Himself after the fall. And as we study this drama of redemption, and we looked at, we've looked at creation, we've looked at the fall, we've looked at uh, uh, the flood, and today we're going to look at the story of Abram, we were going to look at the story of the covenant that God makes with him and what that means for us. We have to come to the text knowing that that is God's ultimate goal. So it's with that in mind that I pray and I will pray right now that we would be able to see the Old Testament through that lens and that God will illuminate his scripture to us. Amen. God, we thank you so much for your scripture, for your word, that it is true and that it is holy. It is set apart. You have protected it. You've preserved it. You've given it to us to teach us and instruct us. You have given it to us in order to understand who you are, that we might see your character qualities, that we might see um, the, the depth and the breadth and the weight of the love of God for us. And so, God, I pray that as we study this morning, I, Lord, I pray that you would help me to articulate in a way um, that would point towards you and your love and your grace for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, I was in, in Dallas two weeks ago for some work training. Um, work, work life for me is so different than any other work I've ever done before. I'm in, I'm in sales at a, at a local electrical distribution uh, company. And it's just a different world. It's, it's, sometimes, I, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't get it. A lot of times I don't get it. But um, that, that's just the philosophy of, of work. Um, the other part that I don't get is I don't really know anything about electrical distribution. <laughs> and I shouldn't say that, um, but I will. And uh, so going down to this training, I will... I learned a little bit more to understand. And this guy stood up um, in this training, and he held this really thick, thick catalog of information. And he um, said that they were, they were worth their weight in gold, for whatever that means. And he was telling us about the catalog, and he was telling us how important it is for us to know the catalog. He was telling us that, um, that, that sometimes people just want to see it. And in the electrical distribution world, it's kind of an older school mentality. And so sometimes the internet just doesn't work for, for guys and they just want to have something. And he held that catalog and he opened it up and he looked at a certain face and he was like, they just want to see it for themselves. Like they just want to have it. They want to be able to point to it on the page. They want to they know what they're getting. And I was like, ooh, that'll preach. Right? I mean, so, so there I am <laughs> taking my notes in electrical distribution class going, hmm, they just want to see it, sermon note number one, you know. So I'm taking sermon notes in my electrical distribution class. That's it, man. I mean, that's where we're at. Like, sometimes we have to just see it. 
Like sometimes we need to just go to the text and look at what God is showing to us or giving to us. And so before we even crack open to Genesis 15, I want you to look at Luke 24. Okay, Luke 24 is, is a story where, where uh, Jesus appears after the crucifixion and, and he appears to his disciples. And these two guys are walking down the road. And I'll just give you a quick uh, synopsis of the story. They're walking down the road. They're kind of talking to each other about the crucifixion and the implications of, of, of that. And for especially these 12 guys who have been following this guy around for three years. And so they're walking down the road and they're talking about that. And Jesus, who they don't recognize, walks up to them and says, hey, what's going on? And they say, well, don't, don't you know? Like, haven't you been around for the last couple days? Like, this is exactly what's going on. Uh, funny, because they didn't recognize who he was. And uh, they start talking about uh, what, what's happening. And Jesus uh, responds to them in 25. Uh, and he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? Right? So he starts to rehearse the gospel with the disciples who he had been spending years with. And so he starts to break out into biblical interpretation, right? And then he goes on and it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures uh, and the things concerning himself. They, they needed to hear the word of the Lord. They needed to see that. Drop down to 32. This is the disciples' response after they've spent some time with Jesus in biblical interpretation. It says, Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts burned. Their hearts burned as Jesus opened the scriptures, as he interpreted the scriptures. And I was just so challenged by that. I'm like, man, this is where where I'm at. This is where we need to be at. We need to... Burn it. So my prayer for you this morning is that we, as we walk through 15, that we look at this in, in this time. But I, my prayer is that you are in God's word on your time. That your hearts would burn because of your time in the word. And that as God illuminates his word to you, that, uh, that you would be challenged and that you would be reflective of what he has for you in his word. For you personally. All right. Enough soapbox. Let's move on. Luke 24, man, my part is that we pray, uh, that we burn this morning uh, in response to what we're going to see. Um, in Genesis 15, another Preach Club reference, um, and just a good Bible study tool. Anytime you're in, in the Word, uh, you should really be spending time in context around what you're reading. So we're going to look at Genesis 15 today, but I need you to understand some of the context of what's going on in order for us to unfold the story and it's all of its glory and you'll see that even if you look at uh, Genesis 15 1 you'll see that um, that it says after these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision so the the question there would be after what things like what what happened so let's back up even to last week right and we talked what did we talk about last week Noah right so we talked about the flood last week, and we spent some time looking at that. That happens, um, and then there is repopulation, right? So we've got Noah and his family, 
uh, but now we need to populate the earth. And so we have repopulation. All these people come, and they are, they are starting to fill the earth, and we have lots and lots of people, and then we have the story of Babel, right? The story of Babel is when some people got together, and they thought they were super awesome, and they were really spiritual, and so they decided to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. We are going to make a name for ourselves is what they say. And so they build this huge tower, and then God puts a stop to that by confusing all of their languages, which is like an introduction to many different languages that we have here. And uh, they all scatter, and the tower is, is not being built because that's not how God designed uh, us to make a name for ourselves. We'll see later how God designed that. Uh, we get more people, right? And so as you kind of walk through Genesis uh, I don't know what, when that started, like 11, right, all the way to 15. Okay, you get the Tower of Babel. You get the call of Abram, right, uh, where uh, we see a bunch of genealogies after the Tower of Babel, the more population of the earth. We get the call of Abram, where uh, Abram is now called by God and says, this is what I'm going to do through you, and he makes a promise to, to Abram. And... Um, we have to note that at that time when God calls Abram, um, it's a, a little interesting because he says that he's going to make him a great nation and he's going to make a bunch of people come after him. But he's married to a woman named Sarai at the time and Abram, not Abraham and Sarah, as you know them later on in the story, but Abram and Sarai, and they are uh, about 75 years old and she's barren. So that's going to be really difficult, right? in our minds, for God to make him a great nation. We know that story, but hang tight with me for a little bit. Okay? Abram and Sarai, they're barren, about 75 years old. Now, mind you, too, that they're about 75 when God gives them the promise, not even when God says that you're going to have your son Isaac. Okay? The difference between Babel and the, dif the difference between Babel and the call of Abram is that Babel says, um, hey, we're going to build this tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God calls Abram and says, I will make your name great. Right? So that's a huge difference. When people are trying to exalt themselves in the, the, the eyes of the Lord. And now here we have the call of Abram and it says, I'm choosing you and I'm going to make your name great. Huge fact as we walk into 15. We also see in this story that Abram is not always faithful. And when we look at Abraham, and we look at the story of Abraham, what's the first story that you think of if you, if you grew up in the church? What's the first story you think of when you think of Abraham? Anybody? Bingo. Abraham and Isaac, that's, ex that's where we go a lot of times. And I'm not going to steal any Stephen's thunder because that's next week. We're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac. And it's a great story. But in our minds, and out of Hebrews, when, we, when it talks about the hall of faith, and we see Abraham, and we go, oh my goodness, Abraham, faith giant. Not so much. Right? So after Abram gets called by God, they go through the land of Egypt. Right? And they're walking through the land of Egypt, and Abram goes, oh, man, I know that my wife is smoking, right? She's a good-looking girl, and, <coughs> excuse me, and she's going to be desired 
by the Egyptians. So we're going to go into the land and to save my own skin, to save my own self, because he had no faith at that point. He's like, I'm just going to set her up and she's going to be my sister and we're going to be all good. Well, she goes into the house of the Egyptians. They have a bunch of plagues, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And then all of a sudden, the uh, Sarai comes out and they're like, no, this is not going to work. How come you didn't tell us that she was your wife? And then they kicked them out of Egypt and they said, get out of here, right? Not very much faith there. Abraham and God have this thing going back and forth for the next couple chapters and there's Promise and doubt and promise and doubt. You're going to see that here in 15. Remind you, there's 75 at the time. In 17, we're going to go forward a little bit. So context in front of. In chapter 17 is when God promises the birth of Isaac. And that's, that's now this is after we have a covenant with God and Abraham in 15. This is after that. And God tells Abram that he's going to have a son and he literally falls on the floor and starts laughing and says, this is not going to happen. Like, a guy that's 100 is not going to have a, a, a baby. And a, a woman that is barren and is 99 is not going to have, that's, that's comical, right? <clears throat> but God says, no, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's continuing the promise. So what, what happens in 15 that's such a big deal? Why, why is 15 such a big deal? Well, let's look at it and see what's going on. Let's read together. We're going to read 15, all of the, the entirety of 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house will be Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, or from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. He did not cut the birds in half. He, when, when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. At the sun, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Uh, the, then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go into your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in the good old age. <clears throat> and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, as it, uh, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river, the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, the great river and the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites, which is a lot of ites. All of that land, he is covenanting with Abram to give him that. What in the world is going on? And why is it so gruesome? Let's let's back up just a second. Let's just break it down verse by verse. Verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Or Abram in a vision. Okay? We know his whole story, right? All of this stuff happened. I just hopefully told you most of it. The other thing that happened in the last couple chapters is that he went through all these cities and he just tore up things up because God had called him to. He called him into war and he was taking things for himself. He gets himself into a position where he gets to take a whole bunch of stuff. He gets himself into a position where he understands that he's not supposed to take a lot of stuff. And the the, the destroyed city says, here, you can have all this. And he goes, nope, I'm not taking anything from you because I'm, I'm just reliant on the Lord. So we see bits of faith in Abram. We see bits of doubt and unfaith in Abram. And after all of these things, Abram's disappointed. He's doubtful and he's fearful because of the things that he's seen, because of the things that he doesn't have yet, which God promised, which is children. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said this, fear not, which is the first time we see that phrase in all of Scripture, fear not. He knows, God knows that he is fearful, doubtful, and disappointed. He says, fear not, I am your shield. God qualifies himself. And he says, I am your shield. I am your protector. Not anybody else, not any of your people, not even as you walk through this land and you guys do my work, I am still your shield. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Although you have been able to accrue mass amounts of stuff in this world, I am still your great reward. In verse 1, that promise is protected. Christ, our God, is, the, is the, the protected promise. He is our shield. He is our reward. And he sets that up very clearly as the, the shield, as the protector, and as the reward himself. That promise is protected that we got back in chapter 12. Well, what happens in verse 2? But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. The first time in this chapter that Abram doubts himself. Abram doubts himself. And he says, look, what will you give me? I am childless. I have nothing to offer. I have no heir to my throne. I have nothing to give you. I'm weak. I'm feeble. I'm nothing. And so in verse 2, the promised one, Abram, is doubted. He says, I don't, I don't trust myself. You know me. I'm not faithful, and I have nothing to give. And he continues in verse 3. And he says, but Abram said, O Lord God, 
what will you give me for I continue childless? But then verse 3 says, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. <coughs> so now not only the promised is doubted, but the promise itself, the promising one, God is now doubted, saying, You have given me no child. That's a pretty bold statement. Someone's a little upset. You've given, you've given me the promise at 75. It's sometime later, and I still have no child. What are you doing? And have we not all been in that moment? Has there not been a time in your life where you go, Oh, I know that you're faithful, Lord, but I'm not quite sure. I know me. I'm not faithful. Or there's times in our life where we go, I know this is what you say, but man, this is really hard for me to believe for my own self. What are you doing? What is going on? And man, I have found myself in that situation often. Remember all those moves I told you about? Remember the, remember the, the story of the church who couldn't pay me anymore? What are, what are you doing? This is what we signed. We signed up to do ministry. What's going on? When I left my first church in Texas, I got to St. Louis, and we were trying to figure out life and what's happening there, and it was so bad in Texas. And we get to St. Louis, and I start thinking, I'm just like, man, it would have just been easier. It would have been easier for me just to not say anything, just to stay in Texas and have just shut my mouth. And I started questioning God, starting doubting the promised and the promise. Well, take a look at 4 and 5. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Character quality of God. We know that he's wrathful. We know that he hates sin. We know that he has done in the past what he wants with people who disobey. But look at what God does here. See his character. He's gracious. In the midst of promise and doubt and promise and doubt and promise and doubt, <coughs> we see that God is gracious with Abram. And he says, he takes him outside, and we had a, a picture up here a couple weeks ago. It said the drama of redemption, and it was just full of stars. We don't get to see stuff like that here in the city. We don't get to see because light pollution and, and, and uh, normal pollution and all that kind of stuff, it's cloudy or whatever it's just crazy but the the grandeur of what they would have seen back then of what abram would have seen and i i don't mean to make this weird but i think that we oftentimes remove ourselves from the intimacy of god because we especially men we kind of see god as that uh, a male figure and so we're like uh, but listen this is what i th i think it seemed like you know those moments when you were dating? You know those moments with a dad or with your mom or maybe it was a, a, a friend 
where you go outside, and I remember, remember doing that with, with Lacey and just holding her and looking up and how romantic that was, right? I'm like, oh, man, and you, you, uh, you know the um, It's a Wonderful Life, right? The Christmas movie, and he's out there, and he's like, what do you want? You want me to rope the moon and bring it down? It's romantic, and God does that with Abram, and I think that's the kind of intimacy that's happening here. As he says, hey, hey, hey look, let's go outside together. Let me, just hold, let me hold you as I would a, a child. And I, I, I imagine holding my daughters and looking up and going, look at all that God has created and how intimate that is with them. And I think that's kind of what was going on here is that God holds Abram and he just pulls him in really close and he says, look, just try, try to number him. See if you can do it. And you're only getting a glimpse. We can only see a, a little bit and you can't. And he says, so that's how your offspring is. It's this intimate moment. It's, it's drama of redemption, right? It's the story being unfolded. And he holds Abram close and he says, look, in my graciousness, let me just reiterate this promise to you one more time. This is how it's going to be for you. One of the best verses in the whole Bible, it's the mo- one of the most quoted <coughs> we look at it all the time. <clears throat> Verse 6. They have this intimate moment. God shows them all of the stars. He says, look, this is all yours. And it says, and he, Abram, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we talked about this at last year. The difference between what it is to believe in God and believe God. That, that's a significant difference. To believe, even the demons believe in God, right? But even if we say that we, be, I believe in the, in the Lord or I've accepted him into my heart or whatever phraseology we want to say, we still have a responsibility to believe God and his promises for our life. And so in this intimate moment where God has with Abram and he says, look at all these stars, he believes, even if for that moment, he believes God, that his promise is true for his life, It's real, and he is going to be faithful, God, to the promise. Sweet, sweet moment. But check out verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you uh, this land to possess it. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Really? That that was my first thought when I read this. The Lord has held you and showed you the stars and reiterated his promise for the 15th time, we'll say. And his next question, after he believed, after one of the most famous verses of Abram, where we start to see what grace looks like, because Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, God has now said, boom, you are my child, you are righteous. I see you as righteous. He just said that, and then Abram goes, well, how, how am I to know that I'm supposed to possess it? Really? Well, I had to start thinking about that too. Don't I find myself in that position where I can rehearse over and over and over again my God's faithfulness in my life? Let me tell you, all of those stories, 
from Texas to St. Louis to Colorado to here to, uh, to really not having any money to whatever. He has been faithful. He has continually provided for us. And through all of that experience and that time, my heart is still wicked and I forget. I forget that he is faithful. And that's what happens here. He says, ah, you know, I am. I, I understand. So how are you to know, you unbelieving, unfaithful friend? Well, let me covenant this to you. And so he makes this covenant. So let's talk about covenant for just a second. And as we walk through this gruesome story for just a second, I want you to understand the depth of what's happening. So the covenant is a, a what we would call a contract, right? And that's what we have right now is, is contracts. We don't use the word covenant very often. We have contracts between uh, people. And so that's what's about to happen is that they're going to make this contract that that. God is going to do for Abram something. And he says, hey, bring me a heifer three years old. Bring me a female goat three years old. Bring me a ram. Bring me a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so Abram goes out and he knows that it's contract time or covenant time. And so he goes out and he grabs these things and he comes back with no instruction. He starts the process because, again, culturally, we would understand these things if we were living in that time. We don't get them now because we're so far removed, but culturally, he comes back. He goes, oh, I know what he's doing. He's going, we're, we're going to make a covenant together. Okay? He brings all these things, and he cuts them in half, and he laid each half over against the other, and he did not cut the birds in half. <clears throat> Here's what happens. When the, uh, this happens, obviously, there's birds of prey, and they come in, and he tries to shoo them away. The sun's going down, and a deep sleep falls on Abraham. Now, you have to understand here that in the original language, and you, you can look at some commentaries, and they'll tell you that this deep sleep is more like a passed out. Okay, this deep sleep's not like, oh, I'm going to like lie here and take a nap as God's making a covenant with me. Uh, you're going to see that he falls into a deep sleep, and behold, dreadful and great darkness falls upon him. Let me explain to you why dreadful and great darkness falls upon him is because as they enter into this time where they're going to make this covenant, he does this work, boom, he lays it aside. Lights come down, right? And it starts to hit Abram. And he starts to understand what kind of covenant this is going to be. Now, when a man and a man made a covenant back in that, those days, they would do the same ritual. And they would cut these things in half and they would separate them and a pool of blood would flow. And then the two men would w grab hands and walk together through the blood and they would restate the covenant towards each other. And they would say, this is what we promise to do for one another. This is what we promise to not do with one another. And if I don't do what I say I will do, then may it be to me as it has been done to these animals. Intense. Now, when a man made a covenant with a king, same process, a little bit different execution. They cut those things in half, and one man, the lesser, went through that. And he said, hey, king, I know you're going to uphold your end of the bargain, right? 
So I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to restate this. And as he walks through and realizes what he's doing, he's saying that if I don't do my part, then may it be to me as it has been done to these animals. And only the lesser went through. Now do you see maybe why there was so much emotion and why Abram maybe passed out? Because he knows that he's making a covenant with a king. And who is the lesser in this situation? Abram. He is the lesser. And so he passes out, and the dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, check this out. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land, and it will not, that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Anybody know what it's referencing? Time in Egypt? Okay. But I will bring judgment on that nation, and they will serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go in your fathers to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generations, for the iniquity of the Amorites have not been yet complete. There's the covenant. Mind you, while, Jesus, while God says this, Abram's laying there motionless, can't speak, and can't move. But God's speaking to him. And when that happens, after that happens, the sun goes down, or had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between the pieces. Who didn't pass between the pieces? Abram. No sign of him doing anything at all. Nothing. Now, this kind of covenant is, is different than what we would experience with a contract, right? If we have a contract and someone comes over to our house, we would experience that contract and there would be a two-party situation. Hey, I need this work done on my house. Okay, this is what I will do for you. Turn the contract around. This is what you will pay. And I'll sign it. Boom. I, I just, I can only imagine if we would take that and go, mm, no, I don't really want to do a contract. Let's covenant together. Okay? Uh, Mr. Contract, you're going to come to my house and you're going to do this work and I'm going to pay this amount of money and we're going to walk through this blood together. I'm thinking that the level of craftsmanship that is done on my house is skyrocketing. Because we don't understand the depths, the le- what is going on here. They cut these things in half and who walks through but God. In and of himself, Abram's nothing. He's not special. He's kind of faithless sometimes. He has a little bit of faith sometimes. The only thing that separates Abram from anybody else in this situation is that God sovereignly chose him. That God sovereignly chose Abram to covenant with. And he makes this covenant, and he lays it out, and then when it's all said and done, there is no involvement from Abram in the covenant But God walks through this together. And do you see what's happening? God took Abram's place. God took Abram's place in this covenant. And by walking through that, he says, look, if I don't live up to what I'm saying that I will do, may I be torn to pieces. And not only that, he's saying, 
Abram, if you don't live up to what, you, if you're not completely faithful, may I be torn to pieces. Some significant imagery, some significant foreshadowing that's going on. Verse 17 is where it all culminates. It is the drama of redemption in this story. When the sun goes down, a smoking fire pot, a flaming torch passes through, unfolding the craziest plot twist of any story of the Bible. Because God is Abram's substitute, and he walks through that willingly, saying that, look, it doesn't matter. You, you, I'll do it for you. I got you. Which leads us to the last portion of what I want to talk to you today. Because I want you to see that, <clears throat> that in the drama of redemption, as we approach the Old Testament, and as we look at it and go, there is one story of redemption throughout the entire Bible. There is one word that God is reconciling us to himself. In Colossians 2.17 it says, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, referring to the Old Testament. I want you to flip over to Galatians 3. Because we, we want to understand the drama. Like, what just happened? God took Abram's place in this blood covenant, cutting of a covenant. God took Abram's place and says, look, if I don't keep it, may it be. If you don't keep it, may it be. Well, wait a second. He's not going to keep it. Abram can't keep it. He is not faithful enough. He cannot do enough. He cannot keep all of the law, which, mind you, doesn't come for another 430 years. This covenant is pre-law. So Galatians 3, 12 what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? Galatians 3.12 But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. The, wait, wait, what does that mean? Well, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. The law wasn't introduced to nullify the covenant that God made with Abraham. Just as we would say the God coming doesn't nullify the law. And let me make this brutally clear. The standard of God has not been lessened or moved. It has simply been met in Jesus Christ. Christ met the requirements of the law. And he stood before God, a holy God, 
and said, I have fulfilled the law. And not only did he take that punishment, but he exchanged that punishment that we were supposed to get for his blessing and reward. And now we not only stand before a holy God, but we stand before a holy God righteous and set apart with, an, with, with a, uh, uh, what's the word? An intercessor who pleads for, on our behalf and he says, look, see, these are my children and I care for them and they are holy. They are set apart. But if the law is not opposed to the promises, if there's no conflict between them, how is harmony demonstrated? And this is something that I wanted to, to, to bring full circle. By recognizing that the law could not justify or give life, it prepared the way for the gospel. This covenant that comes 430 years before the law is preparing the way for the gospel. The law that comes 430 years after that and pre-Christ prepares the way for the gospel, showing us that we are prisoners of sin. Romans 3.9 and 3.23. When people recognize this and give up their temp attempts to please God by their own works, the way is prepared for them to receive the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. Man, that is real talk right there. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand <clears throat> that type of grace, then we make feeble attempts to climb our way to God. We try to make our name great in the sight of the Lord. But we have to put all of that aside and start to understand the grace that has been given so that salvation might come through Jesus Christ alone. So what does that mean for us? <clears throat> that means that there's some significant shadows Right, that, that, the, that Colossians verse, there are shadows of these things to come, but uh, the substance belongs to Christ. And let's just look at those shadows for just a second and remind ourselves of them, and then we're going to wrap up with a couple questions. Those shadows are this. Abram had to leave his father's land to obey God. God called him. He said, you got to go. Abram says, all right, I'll go. So they take off, right? Jesus had to leave his father's side to create a royal priesthood a new land, a new people. Thank you, Lord. In order for the story to start for Abram, <clears throat> Sarah had to give a birth to a miraculous baby. 99 years old and barren. Did they think they were having a baby? No. No. They didn't think they were having a baby, but God gave them a son named Isaac. Uh, Jesus was born of a miracle birth, right? Sometime later, Virgin Mary. God provides himself as the substitute. Shadow. Blood river. Flaming torch, smoking fire pot. There's all kinds of symbolism that we could go into there, but I won't today. Those two things representing God, representing the Holy Spirit, the blood going through there. God provides himself as a substitute. Uh, spoiler alert, next week, another substitute. God provides himself through his son as our substitute. When, when Christ goes to the cross, can you imagine the people who knew 
Scripture who, who knew these stories, that there was a substitute, and then Christ goes to the cross, and yet there's now no substitute? That's because He is the substitute. He's our substitute. He took that penalty for us. These are the shadows in Genesis 15. God is the promise in Galatians 3. And what does that mean for us? And my question for you this morning is, do you understand the grace that is offered? Man, my spirit was renewed this week. And the fact that I don't have to be good enough. I can stop worrying about my sin. It is there. And I'm working on it because it's called sanctification, not justification. I'm not justified by my sin. I stand sanctified, or I stand justified in Jesus. I remain in sanctification through his continual work in my life. And so I am rejoicing this week because I'm getting a better understanding, not a perfect, but a better understanding of the grace offered. Where's your understanding? Because I'm telling you, is when you get a better understanding, it, it frees you, it equals, it gives you freedom in two areas, two major areas. When you start to understand that, that grace, you will be free from guilt. You will be free from guilt. Now, that does not mean that you are free from consequence of sin. But you will be free from guilt because when you confess with your mouth to the Lord, He is faithful and just to remove those from you. He is good. And we have no longer any reason to feel guilty. And it will give you freedom from sin. You don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. I can stand before sin and go, nah, get away from me. Because my God is bigger than you and your grip on me. You can't hold me down. Do you understand the grace that is offered? It is different from every other religion. Man, and tons of, even Christian religions, and I, I, I love my Catholic brothers, <clears throat> but it's a Christ, Christian religion, and they're just working so hard. I got to do all these things. Here's the list of things I got to do. Well, I missed Mass last week, so I got to go to confession and got to pray to this other guy who could talk to God for. No! Like, that's not even what Scripture says. Scripture says that we have one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ the Lord. And I get to pray to him, and I get to go, oh my gosh, I'm so messed up. Oh, wait a minute. You're so faithful. God is the faithful one. All right, let's wrap this up. Last question Do you believe God? Do you believe in God or do you believe God? And I asked this question last year. I asked this question of myself. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very hard question to reconcile. There's a, a lot of times in our heart we believe in God, but we don't necessarily believe God and what he has for us. What does he have for you right now? What is he calling you to? What is he impressing on your heart? What is he laying on your heart? What is he showing you about yourself? What is he showing you about himself? What is he showing you about HGC? What is your role here? What is he showing you about your work, about the role and responsibility that we have to be his ambassador? Because of this grace, we have no obligation. We are free from the law. But what is he continually revealing to us? And are we believing God? Man, that is tough. I recognize that. So that's what we're here to do as a church, is to come together and reconcile. Are we believing God this week, or am I just believing in God? My prayer is that you have an experience soon 
soon, if not today, this week, if not this week, next week, I don't care when, but I'm praying that you have an experience like the disciples did. Where you can say, oh man, I just need to see it. I need to be in it. I need to look at it. I need to let God illuminate my heart to it. And when you do, man, I pray that you burn. I pray that your heart burns and yearns for a deeper knowledge of his grace. And I pray when you get that, when you start to, when you see that little glimpse that you're, you're freed up, you're freed up from guilt, you're freed up from sin to serve the Lord how he's called you to do it. And if you look, we don't have time, but seriously, walk through the story of Abram, the rest of the story. We're going to look at Abraham and Isaac, right? Huge faith builder. Huge, that's Abraham. Abraham, Abraham is a giant of faith because he takes his son. And I'll, I'll let you do it next week. But just walk through that story and look how God just weaves his, God's story through Abraham. That's what he wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do with HGC. That's what he wants to do with us as we walk through life, as God has covenanted with us. He has made a covenant with us. And he, it's all on him. The covenant is all on him. We get to just live free. Amen. God, thank you so much for this time. I pray, God, that you would I don't even know. I, I just pray that you would just speak to these people this morning. I pray that, that you would remove any of the foolish talk that I've I've had this morning. I pray that you would remove anything that's not worth listening to. And I pray, God, that you would speak to these people. I pray that you would show them your love for them. I pray that you would show them that you have woven the story of grace through all time. Even from the fall, from, from the flood, from your destruction of people, from, from the judges, from the prophets, it is not different. There, it is all the same. Your story is the same, and you want to reconcile us to yourself. And so I pray that you just give that to them this morning. I pray that you would help them to understand that this proves, this story proves that there is no one that is out of the reach, out of the grasp of your hand. Father, no matter how wicked they think their heart is this morning or no matter how depraved they think they are, no matter if they're not, they think that they're not worthy of being saved, you say, doesn't matter. does not matter because you love them and you love me. You've called me to yourself. There is nothing special about Abram. There's nothing that sets him apart. There's absolutely nothing. Only that you have sovereignly called him by name to do your work. So, Father, I pray that this morning that you would help us understand that gift. Amen.